0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. All right, I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest, competitive intelligence expert, speaker, Award-winning author of Win-Loss Analysis, CEO, trainer, guide to marketers worldwide and businesses worldwide about learning about their wins, their losses, their clients, their buyers. Why do they buy? Ellen Naylor, welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's great <laughs> to be here.
0: Oh, man. I, yeah. Very humbling experience to chat with you. Uh, your book, you know, like we said, we chatted with uh, you know, many people about it. It, it's open my eyes as a marketer to really understanding the buyers. And, and this is like the theme for today. You know, why did we win? Why did we lose? Understanding our buyers is, is neglected so much in marketing. And I, I think I experienced this as a marketer personally, and we did all the gadgets and gizmos and we never thought about who we're doing it for. So I wanted to invite you here and to learn from you. Um, and so thank you. And here, is Thor's hammer. I'm going to pass it over the screen here for you. Thor's hammer. (laughs) Take the hammer. Now smash for for me a myth about marketing, about strategy. Maybe something that you've seen all the time. People do this, they mess it up or they think one way and it really is like totally opposite.
1: Well, in regards to win-loss, many people don't do it because they know why they win deals and they know why they lose deals. And so they don't need to ask the customer. They know. Okay. and of course so, that's a huge myth because of course they don't know
0: right They don't, so so they don't know well they certainly don't know why they lost usually because no one usually yeah. tells them but when they win you're saying they also don't really know why they win
1: that's right people think they know why they win and a lot of times they'll they'll say oh just do the losses that's really all <laughs> we care about we just we just want to look at why we're losing and i'm like but but don't you wanna know why you're winning or what you could do to win a deal? Or don't yeah. you wanna know how your implementation and training and customer service is going? You will not learn that from losses. Right. You need to learn your buyer's journey, whether they decided to buy from you, where they decided that they don't wanna buy from you, or even retention, You know, just add-ons. Mm. Why, why, do they, why are they continuing to do business with you, which is of course much cheaper than buying. The first right. time, right? Retention right. is a, oh, totally. Yeah. So why don't
0: people know? I mean, why don't people know their the reasons for their wins?
1: Well, I think the reason they don't know the reasons for their wins is they believe what sales tells them, and there's okay. also this arrogance. We know, you know, we we understand this. We understand the marketplace. Why we win? We
0: got this crazy. We got lady. this.
1: We got this down. It's kind of arrogance. <laughs> um, and it's, I think it's also psychological—a desire. Uh, you know, we're good. We know. We know why we're winning. And in fact, there are consultants who say, "Oh yeah, let the company when they do win-loss interviews, let them interview the wins and hire a consultant just to interview the losses." Huh?
0: People say you know, that. People actually yeah, say, "Yeah, oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, big name." <laughs> and I'm kind of like, you know, you want consistency, so make yeah. up your mind who you want to do what, who's on first base, and because you get a different response when you do your own interviews as a company employee versus if you outsource them to somebody who is a neutral third party who people are happy to talk to.
0: Yeah. There's gotta be something about like you, you have a bias, right? Like I have biases all the time um, around sure. why, why I think people buy or don't. So if I did the, or at least half the interviews or the interviews, I could see that bias creeping in there, you know? do you see a lot of people like almost like they self-select the answers that kind of back up their own bias? That
1: can happen. And actually yeah. it's a challenge for me as well. I, we, as, as a consultant, you know, you're hired to be a neutral third party, but who yeah. is biased. everybody's biased, True, you know, and uh, that's, that's uh, always why it's a good idea to record your interviews and listen to them later on right. and catch yourself and learn and grow, you know, I, and I do that. I, right. I, I can continue to grow that way because you're really being paid to be a neutral observer as much as you can be one, you know?
2: Right. Yeah, yeah I think the so. customer is
1: more apt to give you a neutral answer too because even though they know who you are going to give the answer to, you're still not them, for lack of a better way of putting it. You
0: break that down. So, they, they're avoiding the disappointment of telling you know the truth like i really just you laugh funny so i wanted to buy from the other guy or you know, <laughs> it came down to or i really didn't like the sales guy he didn't listen to me he didn't have my best interest in mind so i didn't want to buy from you and it's those kind of things that maybe they wouldn't want to tell the company directly because you don't want to get them in trouble but you might tell a third party
1: that's right and a lot of times we just find out simply when it comes to the salesperson, that maybe the chemistry wasn't there. Right. You know, the salesperson is not a bad person, because you you hear the customer that you're interviewing as well and realize, oh, you know, this this is one that just didn't work out for that reason as well. Of course, there's many other reasons too that have nothing to do with the salesperson. Right. Usually, usually the reason what uh, deals are won or lost are not because of the salesperson. Okay. Yeah.
0: So. I think what we're, you know, we're talking about here, and while we had you on, we are chatting with Parmely. some of my favorite episodes, um, and she mentioned win-loss, and we started hashing into it, opened my eyes to it. I wanted to have you come on here and just continue to learn from you, perhaps for you know, people maybe didn't catch an episode, win-loss analysis book you wrote, but the concept of win-loss, could you break it down, kind of describe you know, what it is and maybe you know, where, how you came to that, that conclusion?
1: Sure, I'll start out with what it is and then I'll tell you how I got there. How's that? Yeah,
0: yeah, that'd be great.
1: Okay, so win-loss is the process of interviewing customers and those who chose a competitor after the sale is consummated. And that is the very important thing, after, after the sale is consummated. It's that way they know you're not selling to them. Mm. You're there mm. to listen. You wanna understand what their buyer journey was. You wanna make it better for them, basically, right? Because right? the buyer journey, is long today, you know, and 80% of what they look at, or 80% of it, is done before they call sales. You need to understand that part of the journey as well, and that's why when people are upset about, oh, my sales force is going to be so upset uh, by this whole thing happening, I'm like, but but wait a minute, only 20% of the time is spent with them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and when we ask questions. We're not just talking about how sales doing. We want to know about the service issues. We're looking at the company reputation. We're looking at product attributes. And yes, we care about the relationship health. So so that's kind of win-loss. And at the end of these interviews, you analyze what you've learned. And some of it's qualitative and some of it's quantitative. The quantitative stuff is boring, but it's actually very useful. (laughs) You know, you do want to know how many you did, blah, 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 blah. What what in general did you learn? What industries were they in? the qualitative is usually what's the most precious because you get product development ideas out of it Um, you and and this is always an interesting one so often customers will say but that's not so and I'm like well the customer thinks it's so and they buy based on perceptions why do they think it's so right you know is that the competition feeding them or is it that they're not getting your message you know, these are things that you need to investigate further, and that's what I like about win loss. It's just a stepping stone to so much more at company, that companies can do. So, yes.
0: yeah, the whole the whole concept of you know, because I earlier this year, or oh, wow, it's next year already. Earlier last year, I chatted with Adele Ravella. You know, we talked buyer personas, and you know, she was a big champion of talking to buyers to at least figure out what are the common paths they follow, and. That made sense. And then, you know, Parmalee, and now with your book, uh, it makes sense to also to talk to the winners, but then also talk to the losers. Let's talk about winners for a second. So are, are you gathering persona type information as well? Uh, what, what's like, what are the different kind of things you're gathering? Is there just, is it just a ton? How do you? How do you? It's recommend?
1: a lot, and it yeah. varies by customer. And okay. um, with each of my clients, we'll figure out what is it we're trying to get out of our interview process here. What are right. we really trying to learn? What are the shortcomings, and what are the strengths? What are the things they can build off of? Right. And um, they're they're all interested in the buyer journey. That's that's the common thing they're all interested in. Yes. That 80% before they come to sales. How can we change it so that improve on it so that they want to come to sales sooner, more often, you know, this sort of thing. How can we shorten our sales cycle? That's what people are interested in, in uh, as a bottom line. Yeah,
0: I am you know? too. How do you, how do you deliver that? I mean, what kind of mystical questions do you ask that, because obviously if you ask them, Hey, how do I make you buy quicker? Maybe they'll, maybe it's a little too self-serving, but what, what kind of, how do you, how do you get at that kind of information?
1: You ask a lot of open-ended questions. Um, it's a conversation. Make okay, them, I like them comfortable, yeah. and and just basically ask them. You know, where all did you look before you came to sales? Something as simple as that. Where 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 do you look? That's a valuable source for you when you're deciding about people in this space, about companies to work with in this space. Do you look at industry reports, for example? You know, stuff like that. But a lot of times, I don't even have to ask as much as that as I just said. A lot of times I just simply ask, where do you look to get information about this product? You know, what, what do you value the most? Yeah. And that, um, that's how you learn, oh, we're not doing such a good job with getting into this space, certain right. aspects of the space of where the customer looks. And then you also might ask, and, and which of them is the most valuable to you? You know?
2: All right.
0: Which ones do you trust? Which ones do yeah. you- do you listen to and I like that yeah and I bet you the cumulative information of you know 18 of the 20 people or however many you recommend you know all said they looked at a Gartner report that's <laughs> okay. right it's time to give them a call <laughs> let's that's that's brief those analysts for a little bit yeah. yeah
1: yeah and sometimes you find out about sources you didn't even know existed interesting that they really value you know like users groups or not users groups, the wrong word. Um, the online uh, reports that people can look at about how products are working. Mm-hmm. Those, like those are very
0: crowd and those
1: kinds. Yes, of yeah. those types. Those are very highly regarded. More and more over time. And there's more and more of them coming out all the time too. So that's hard to stay up on. You know. Yeah. And there's always the word of mouth thing, and that you can't do much about that. But you can, you can figure out different ways to reach your customer. Like I'm working with one right now and they're just saying, yeah, we're realizing we need to have more users groups, user group meetings. They're a, yeah. a, a less mature company, so they haven't been in business that long and they're saying, yeah, we really need to work on that. So people really understand fully, but also so they can talk with other customers that are using our product. Right, huh. So there's lots of things you learn when you do win-loss, other than just how to close more deals quickly and blah, blah, blah. You, you learn about operational changes you can make, even though you're not even asking about them. And that's the beauty of win-loss. It's a conversation. You've right. got maybe 10 questions you want to cover, but the next thing you know, the customer takes you down a different alley. That's what they want to share with you. And the customer ends up finding about things they didn't know they didn't need to know. <laughs> you know? Sure. And they can be really valuable
0: do you have any experiences that come to mind sort of breakthroughs around that that
1: well one that i don't know if i call it a breakthrough but i was like shame on you to my customer the customer sold a software and um i think they sold six different software packages okay and um they had a different way to register and order for each of the six different softwares so you can imagine what i got from the accountant that i didn't think it would be necessary to interview. She was just like, you know, I'd like to be able to order very simply what I want to for any of, from any of the six packages very easily. I can't yeah. do that today. You know, stuff like that. And, and that what, the, what does that do? That's customer retention. Oh, yeah. Big time. Oh, yeah. And, and that's really, it's, it's not sexy to talk about. That's why we say win-loss. It's sexy, right? But <laughs> retention is actually much more sexy because it's a lot cheaper, right? You've already got the base. You want to keep them, right? You want to grow. You want to cross sell.
0: That's also a good, another good point about talking to your existing customers.
1: Yes. And even though that's not win loss, the same skills can be used. Conversational skills.
0: Imagine so. Yeah.
1: And, And it's a big deal and companies, do that somewhat with what they call customer satisfaction, but I think a lot of times, it's good to, to to go beyond customer satisfaction. Just, how's it going? You know, just simply that, and and keep it wide open, not how satisfied are you with our stuff, just mm-hmm. how's it going? How's it working out for you, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, the whole scalable thing, and I, who was I chatting with uh, the other day that was saying, you know, some of the best experts, like, how, I'm going to misquote him, but uh, says like, you know, when you're early, when you're starting out, do things that don't scale, you know, just talk to people. But I suppose that could even, that lesson could continue on the talk to people, but you know, like instead of sending out that customer survey, I got one today, actually it said, would you recommend us, you know, the classic, um, you know, would you recommend us to a friend type question? And I think I put a seven on there, Uh Uh, but uh, you know, a little bit more dialogue from people yeah and actually talking to them having a conversation with yeah just going all deep. these things yeah going deep
1: going okay. deep yeah and listening and and you know that that's always my goal is when I'm on these calls oh Ellen you were talking too much not so much next time you know it's, it's right. just you really want to be listening and the other thing you want to do before these calls is think about all the different ways a person might answer the questions that you have. Kind of like a decision tree. Okay. And if they answer this way, I'll go this way, maybe, or because conversation never goes as you might have planned. Sure. So that way when it doesn't go, which it usually doesn't go, then you're 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 set. You're set with lack of structure basically. And, right. and that and that's a good thing when you're doing these interviews is that you're not too structured really
0: okay not too structured we make it more flowy like a conversation even like a like a really good podcast
1: <laughs> right right just, just kind of so roll don't have any with it. notes you roll and of yeah. course as we lost you do have notes because the customer does want these 10 questions answered or whatever right. they are right. we, we have notes too
0: but they're secret
1: that's right <laughs> we're not telling anyone
0: <laughs> that's right um yeah i have a question do you set anything up at the beginning you know at the it's like, is it just general rapport building? Because I know the idea, a lot of people have asked too, but how do you get the truth out of people? You know, and maybe it helps just that you're not the company, but maybe you are the company. But like, how do you ask questions? And I know this is you know, a topic you're very interested in as well. And, and actually get the truth out of people. Without, you know, you're not pouring water over their heads or anything, but you want to you know, nicely get the, the real reasons out of them.
1: Well, that's always a challenge, whether you do these interviews blind or not, because if you do them blind, you figure you'll have more neutrality. On the other hand, a lot of times they try to figure out who is it that hired you. It's human nature, right? Once they figure it out, then they'll be a little more chatty. Um, But when you are transparent and say, company X hired me, you know, and you're, but uh, the reason they hired me is we'd like to be easier to do business with, develop better products. And, uh, you know, those sorts of messages, not, can you help me out?
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, I guess if it goes well, that's one thing, but does that make it sound like you're offloading your responsibilities of talking to your customers to someone else?
1: No, it actually doesn't. Okay. um, Because the sales... How do I put this? The sales relationship with the customer is very precious and sacred and customers in general, and this is just human nature, don't want to tell the bad news about sales as you were alluding to earlier. Right. They don't want to say, Hey, you know, I, I didn't like this person or whatever. <laughs> right.
0: Cause you may need to yeah. buy an upgrade or something later on from that.
1: Right. And they just don't want to, regardless of whether they need to build an upgrade. They're just not comfortable with doing that. They're more comfortable just letting it, letting it loose, you know, with with somebody who does not work for the company even though they know it's going to go to the company but back to your thing about the truth yeah yeah i spend a lot of time doing this i can tell when someone's lying to me usually
2: Uh oh
1: no the the tone of voice changes uh the speed with which they talk changes um wow sometimes they use too many words because they're being defensive uh there's a lot out there Mm online. um and I, I make a study of it really. And so when people I suspect are lying, a lot of times I'll, I'll throw out a question that's definitely not on the script. You know, something like, why do you say that? What makes you say that? And a lot of times they will change the subject because wow. they know that I know without <laughs> saying anything, and they'll get onto it. And, you know, even sometimes I'll, I'll go as far as saying, where, where did you learn this? You know, something like that. Or, hmm, interesting. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of come back to people and let them know you're not quite buying into it. You know? How often does that happen? It doesn't happen actually that often. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of the reason why is I've been doing this a while, mm-hmm. and people realize when I get on with them, that I'm there for them. Uh, I don't have an agenda that's gonna hurt anyone. I make yeah. a point of that. And because sometimes when people are uncomfortable with and win losses, is they're worried the salesperson's gonna get fired. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Do you tell them that's not gonna happen? Or I mean, you can't really guarantee that?
1: Sometimes I do.
2: <laughs> do you? If,
1: if I think it's necessary. Um, it's not something, well, you know, sometimes with losses, And I'll cover this with the customer Um, because, you know, when you win a deal, of course, you're not going to get fired, but but losses, you know, and you you do want to be very sensitive about that. And so depending on the culture, I might even write in my introductory email and no one is going to lose their job as a result of our interview. I've actually written that a couple of times in losses where I've sensed it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And... You know, the other thing about why you can usually not be lied to if you do your homework before you make, initiate even that first introductory email, because it's very important that you're organized and a straight shooter when you do this, right. and this, the straight shooter is you send them an email, let them know why you're doing this, what's in it for them, right? Sometimes uh, you might offer them some remuneration, and other times you don't. It depends on the industry, the practice, all this kind of thing, right?
2: Hmm.
1: But they need to understand that. But I always look them up on LinkedIn. Okay. I look up the company. If they're not on LinkedIn, I look up the company. I look up something where I can, in the email that I'm sending them to introduce myself to them, let them know that I know a little something about them, mm-hmm. that I've gone to a little extra trouble. I'm not a telemarketer, you know? Right. You know? Yeah.
0: you not some survey hack. Right.
1: right. And, and that does make them more apt to, first of all, open up the email if you have a nice title. Not market research, for example.
2: Right. right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Easy, you know, so you need to think through all these steps in the loss. It's, it is a process. And we're also inundated with emails today, right? So you need to think about, are they even going to open up my email?
0: Right. I I mean, I guess you would send out a lot to try to get a few people. What what kind of numbers do you look for? Do you invite a certain number of people to eventually have 20 of each or is it per whatever the customer wants to pay for? Or do you have a number that you like to get to?
1: You know, I don't. It really depends on what the customer is looking to accomplish. Um, In general, though, I notice 20 is not a bad number. Yeah. For for trends and issues and, and some actions to change. Uh, but I think the key is, and a lot of customers don't do this, they'll just do 20 and then they don't do anything else. It's, you benefit the most if you do 20 like each quarter or 20 every half a year or something like that, a bigger number. But it depends on what size company you are, where you're at in your process, what your focus is, uh, why you're doing win-loss in the first place. Yes. You know, You need to have your goals. Why are you doing this? And once you have your goals, then you know, okay, these are the customers I need to talk to then. yes, And not everybody's going to say yes. Let's assume 50% do. Um, yeah. Let's assume. You know, yeah. that's a good assumption. And uh, assuming, you know, we get decent contact information, and I have a process set up for that, too, that I have customers giving good contact information because that can slow up the whole process. I want to know their name, their phone number, their email address, uh, win, yeah. loss. With, were their competitors involved? You know, a little bit about the account, how it was sure. left. Uh, that way, when I call the customer, I'm not wasting their time. We can get, we can have a little small talk, but it isn't, you know, it isn't stuff I should already know, I right. guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: You know, hearing you say this, I, I, I'd love you to chat with all of my customers, past, present, <laughs> future. How do you prioritize? Because obviously, people probably don't have the money banks to, Cause it just seems like it'd be such great information. Maybe is it the trends you get enough trends and you can kind of call it a day, but I just, it seems like such a great insight to get on everyone. Well, if
1: you have a lot of budget money, but <laughs> my thought is really, if you sat back and thought about what are the goals you're really trying to accomplish in your business, yeah, you probably don't need to talk to everybody to get to that. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah trying to grow in a certain way? Are you trying to sell people additional services? Are you noticing people could use certain help in certain areas that you'd like to get into? Mm. Pick a a base that way. Um, There's a lot of reasons to do win-loss and I don't know that you benefit by talking to everyone, you know?
0: Right. Huh.
1: In, In that level of depth.
0: Right. So when you work with companies to figure out who you do talk to, is there some sort of logic you recommend they I mean their best wins and their best losses or their biggest dollar amounts or is it kind of up to them case by case?
1: It really varies a lot. Okay. I, I, I can't really say for that there's a a, a hard and steady rule about it. You know, a lot of people want to invest more time, not surprisingly, with those customers. They're the bread and butter. Right. So they'll say, hey, 500000 on up, whatever it is. You know, the customers that build that amount, that's who we're going to focus on. Right. But others are saying, hey, you know, this one competitor is really crushing us. And they weren't last year. Huh. You know, there's, there's that too. So bear it's your goals. You need to figure out what your goals are. Then you decide who you're going to talk to.
0: Have you ever done it like you called – well, I guess if you call a loss, that's somebody else's win. So it's almost right. like you're getting reverse engineering on that's that. That's right. Yeah.
1: And you're finding out why why they selected somebody else and why they didn't select you. Well,
0: yeah, let's started. talk about losses, you know, for a bit then. So it sounds yeah. like a lot of people, they're thinking, let's get the loss information when we just talked about yeah. the wins being such a critical part of it. But now that we've talked about that, yeah, you know, the loss the losses it makes sense to have you as an intermediary um having these conversations do people do they act differently do you ask different questions for the ones where you know that they've you know rejected this company
1: um a lot of times i will ask some different questions since we lost them right Uh, and uh i i want to know who they want who they who won the business sometimes the customer that hires me knows that but sometimes they don't and um I'll ask them what they were looking for in a solution, for example, mm. which that won't be that different, but what will be different is, and, and how, how are these people satisfying that for you, you know, but a lot of the questions are pretty similar, you know, if you think about it, how was our proposal, our, the company perception, all those mm. sorts of issues, they're the same whether it's a win or a loss, In a win, you, you really want to find out what you did right, but you also find out what you did wrong as well, right? Yep. You know, and you also find out there's certain things that you do really well, but you want to make sure you still do them. They might be things that product management thought, well, you know, we don't really need to do this anymore for whatever reason, or this particular product, Right. you know, this feature here. eh? And then you find out, no, actually it's, it's being used and valued or it's being used in a different way than you had imagined. Right. Unintended use. You find that out as well. But in the losses, Uh, You also find out that the reason they even entertained you in the first place, which is interesting, you know You didn't win the business and I know in some um, One account rep was so good But the solution just wasn't the right one for this customer. They needed a more sophisticated solution But they liked this rep so well and they made a point of telling me this but we gave her three references for other people she should go after. Oh, wow. You know, so you really do hear some good stuff too, even in losses. Hmm. And um, so it isn't what often people think when you win, oh, you're going to find out all the great stuff you do and you're not going to find out about the competition. No, you might find out a lot more about the competition. Plus, think about the psychology behind a win. They'd like to think they made the right decision. That's your company, right?
2: Mm -hmm. But...
1: They did their homework to get there. Right. You know? And you need to keep measuring up to keep their business, their loyalty. Right. Right from the get-go, do they have a good taste? Are they happy with the decision they made, you know? Like I know with one of them, they were saying, gee, you know, when we (laughs) call up tech solutions to try to get answers to our issues, they're trying to cross-sell us, upsell us, Uh, before they solve our problem. You can imagine how well that goes through, but that's on the win side, you know. But on the loss side, you really do find out sometimes that your customer thinks you're pretty cool stuff. And um, Hmm. they might not have considered you a year ago. You know, things like that. Lots of little details. You find out, oh, well, gee, my brand awareness is growing compared to what it was. Right. It's great. Yeah.
0: How do you take all this data and then turn it into action? Because that seems like, Is that just your secret sauce or, you know, I think I've got my head around I can do the interviews or what those look like. Great conversations. But then to your point, all these little tidbits that come out, are they, they just bullets on a report or what kind of.
1: You try to organize the information the best you can. So it is actionable. And that is the hardest part in my opinion of win loss analysis. How do you take what people have told you and spit it back um, in a way that is uh, legible
2: mm-hmm. or
1: visible to our Twitter world today. Yeah. Nobody wants long reports because you've learned so much. The reports have to be somewhat long, you know, but they don't have to be as long as they used to because, you know, we do have a lot of visual things we can do. But I think the real key is, is to not be biased in how you're going to structure your report and let the conversations and the analysis and what you learn be your structure. So for example, I like that. You're trying to, you're trying you, you've been losing to a customer and you're trying to crush that com- you're like, I, I used to win 50% of the time. I'm only winning 25% of the time. What's going on here? And so we hone in on that competitor. And we try to hone in within that competitor why it is, what it is about them that has changed in the last year. Or what the customer thinks has changed about you in the last mm-hmm. year, your company. And that's why they're selecting the competitor.
0: Right. So you have that open mind. And it's almost like your report really isn't pre-written, you know, where no. you're filling in a couple of holes. You're going to allow where the conversation goes to dictate the, the key parts. Like it is, I, That's kind of exciting. You don't know that, you know, 16 of the 20 people are all going to talk about this little tiny feature that Actually, was the deciding factor, and you had no idea, and that becomes prominent in some other discovery. And yeah, I could see how you would just want to let it, you know, wait and see what you're going to get. Do some pre work, but then be open to what you're going to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it, that's really the valuable information you get is is the the information that you didn't know you didn't need to know. You know, and yeah. all of a sudden there it is, boom. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I could,
0: I could totally see that.
1: But making it actionable is really the whole point, right? right? And I think a lot of times, we'll come up with 10 or 20 ideas based on what customers have said for action the customer might take. And we might have 10 or so things that really aren't quite so actionable, but you, know, you, you might want to discuss this with your management team mm-hmm. and see where you want to go with this. You know, maybe you need to go back and talk to that customer a little bit more. Um this might or the other thing comes is sometimes there's selling opportunities that come out of this. You know? Oh,
0: for sure. I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and who better than, you know, somebody was nice enough to ask and kind of probably paint them in a positive light the fact that they were interested. Yeah. And someone like you or, or someone, you know, a quality person's talking to them. It wasn't just, you know, uh, Chesh threw me to the wall if somebody called me from you know, some other country and treated me like a number. No, it's like, no, to your point, you did some research ahead of time, you know about them. this is like a real quality conversation, not just like a verbal survey.
1: Right. Yeah, it's definitely a conversation and they have the opportunity to be heard, to be listened to. Right. And people don't get that opportunity very much today in our little digital society. And so I find... Once I get people on the phone, they're pretty chatty, although there are some that are less chatty, as you might imagine, Sure. They're really super duper busy, but in 10 or 15 minutes, they can cover a lot, and I, I hardly even have to ask them any questions because they're so stressed out about whatever their schedule is, but they're saying, well, this is good time as any, you know, this <laughs> kind of, or we had agreed on this time, but, you know, there's. Life happens,
0: right? uh, (laughs) We agreed, but with grievances. uh, Yeah. Do you you record them or just take really good notes? I do both. Okay.
1: I do both. And the reason I do both is I like to take good notes, but the recording helps me get the tone. Mm, Yeah. The tone of the interview and the tone around certain issues in the interview also gives me an idea of, you might want to go back to this customer and ask them about X. When I go back and listen <laughs> to the interview, I could never pick up on that. Just taking notes. Right. You know, those innuendos that actually can make a, you know, a difference in business and how business might be done with that customer. So that's the reason I record them.
0: That makes sense. So, you know, even, you know, you have to keep up with the flow of questions, maybe, or you are just actively listening and maybe you're not perceiving. It reminds me of the uh, there's that book, um, Never Split the Difference. Oh. It was written by a FBI. I'll write that down. Yeah, FBI negotiator. I read uh-huh. that recently. Never Split uh, What's the Voss Difference is his name. Let's see. Who is this guy? Chris Voss. So he was the head hostage negotiator for the fbi and and he just talks about they would have people talking you know one person's talking to the the bad guy and there's like Uh three other people in the van listening and each one is tasked with listening for a different thing you know yeah because in the moment you're just trying to you know talk to the guy somebody else is listening probably for tone somebody else is probably listening for background noises or, or or facts and they're writing things down so that you can have active so by recording you're able to have multiple people essentially yourself times a couple to listen to that and pick up on what you might have missed the first time that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah by the way you know you're asking about truthiness a little earlier yeah and i'd like to put a plug in for a book i really like it's called spy the lie spy the lie cool. yeah your 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 discussion about Voss is what brought it up because it's yeah. a similar world. It's it's. Let me see if I can find it. I might have it right here actually.
0: Yeah, for everyone listening, uh, there's an amazing bookcase right behind, um, with win loss analysis, perfectly placed, and then lots of other tomes.
1: Okay, and, and this one is on the floor. I have a pile of ten books that. Uh,
0: <laughs> I'm impressed you found it.
1: I am a bookie. <laughs> <laughs> This is the book I'm talking about, Spy Lie.
0: Oh, look at that.
1: So your audience can kind of take a look at it. And it's written by former uh, CIA types, and it's on how to detect deception. And oh, yeah. uh, cool. I, I'm very interested in that. Now, the vantage point that they're really writing the book from, though, is similar to Boss, and that is where you're interrogating somebody. He's probably done something bad, you suspect, right? I mean, it's oh, the okay. country security, this sort of thing. It's still very interesting, though, because right. you can you can look at the TV, for example, when there are certain interviews going on, and we will mention no names, and you can <laughs> tell how many lies are being told by just looking at their face and their mouth and the angle and the tone of their voice and et cetera. It's just... Is that the,
0: that the eyes look one way versus another kind of thing? There's or? the
1: eye thing. There's the change of the tone of voice. Sure. There's um, because people are pretty good, or if they've been trained, they're pretty good about their facial expressions, but their hands and their feet, their appendages, their change of their, of their body. You know, uh-huh. when you're sitting across from somebody, you notice they cross their legs differently. All of a sudden, they move, they twitch, they start doing this.
0: Can't
2: help doing it.
1: This. Yeah. You know. There are these different actions people take. And in fact, in this book, they're saying we always make sure they're sitting on a chair that's more like a rocker. So we observe all their body actions.
0: Oh, yeah. So they can't help but rock. So keep it.
1: So the reason I read this, though, was I was trying to just pick out most of the time we are on a phone call with somebody or we're on what like what we're doing zoom yeah sure. yeah zoom or skype or whatever but even on zoom or skype you can still notice people's facial expressions which is helpful yes you don't get to see the rest of their body but boy when you're asking a question and somebody's expression just changes even mm. just for a flash of a second you know you've hit some kind of a chord right you know so, so it's a very, very interesting reading to me. I've never worked in the security world in terms of the FBI or the CIA, but I've been trained by one or two of them. And I really admire what, what, what training they must go through to get done what they get done.
0: Oh, 100%. You know? And just, yeah. you know, I, I totally respect the ability to pick up those, you know, micro signals or whatever they may, might be. Sometimes I lose myself in the conversation, which is, probably has its places. Um, yeah. But... Uh, you yeah, know, the people that, you know, can take a step back and observe the little glance or the the little frown. Sometimes I think yeah. uh, we're watching TV and sometimes we'll, we're looking at a show, we'll pick up on that little, like someone, like they frowned momentarily for a second or they or they made, made an angry face, like just for two seconds, they just did that. And they do. you're like, huh, what is that going on? Yeah, um, all fascinating. Just, it's the study of, you know, people being people
1: yeah it is and i always admire you know great journalists like nina totenberg one of my all-time favorites at npr um they know how to conduct a conversation and what's it terry gross there's another one they always did their homework before they ever would be conducting an interview they'd obviously done enough reading of whatever that book was and they made the person right away feel at home yeah. on that call and they never saw their face it was all done you know over the telephone probably you know so right. i have i really admire people like that because they they got to come out there every day and do this yeah.
2: gross,
0: you know yeah. do it every day huh and especially when when they're like maybe not forthcoming witnesses, you know, like interview, you know, it was one thing, but I guess even in interviews, you know, you could get people set people up to be cranky and closed minded. And there's plenty of those videos where, you know, dumb people ask movie stars the wrong question and they just shut down, you know, because it's just like, you're trying to poke or something, but it's, it's too self-serving. So it just shuts everything down and um, you don't get the the info you're looking for.
1: That's right. Yeah well, in my book I, I mentioned personality types, which is Ooh. Maybe, maybe it's my sort of skepticism. I love that topic. Sort of Keep going. Side and, uh, and so when you're interviewing people, you know it's good to be aware of what sort of type of person they are. Are they the type that's a know-it all that doesn't really?
0: <laughs> we all know I, those people. I,
1: I wasn't allowed to use those in my book. I, that was edited away, but really. You know, yeah that's not very kind i'm like well maybe it isn't but
0: really because that's that that person well i guess we know how to deal with that person right you just oh maybe we don't like those people are the tough ones because but i guess you can spot them you know you're like okay you know about this too huh really you know about african swallows and oh you know about uh you know this other topic too diamonds you really (laughs) oh yeah i'm the expert on that oh okay
1: (laughs) Or, you know, sometimes when you're interviewing, you've been told this person's an expert in a certain way. So um, you're expecting them to be an expert, right? Yes. And you find, and in win-loss, this happens sometimes. You know, they tell you, this is the person you want to talk to with the company. This was a key influencer, you know, whatever their role is. And so you call them and you find out they've left the company. So you have okay. to talk to someone on the fly who was just using the product, but was not a decision maker. And you think, hmm, I wonder how valuable that will be. Actually, it's often very valuable because they Mm. didn't make the decision. You find out how well the product really works. Right. What it does well and what it doesn't do well because that's what they know about. Or to the previous point, though, you find out, no, this really isn't the right person to talk to. And uh, after you've talked for just a short bit, you say, gee, I'm sensing that maybe... This is not such a good use of your time, or something like that. <laughs> is there somebody else in the company who is a little bit more involved in this? Because I, I don't feel right taking your time, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times they'll tell you who it is. And then you'll find the person. So if you're very polite to them
2: mm-hmm. and don't
1: hurt their feelings because they're often very sensitive, that's the reason they are the way they are. Right. And um, they have kind of a complex, they'll often be happy to tell you who, who you ought to be talking to. And then there's the very knowledgeable person who um, realizes the value of their knowledge. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to impart it to you that readily. So <laughs> you sort of prove yourself, um, make them realize you're there for right. them, or you're for real, whatever it might be. It varies by person. Then there's the type that's very knowledgeable, but they don't realize the value of what they know. They're wonderful, right? That's who we all want to talk to. are.
0: They're not holding the information hostage. They just let it go.
1: Let it go, man. You know, often scientific types are that way, right? Technical types. Sure. They're so excited about what they're doing. they just, you know. And then we have the clams, the people who just don't want to.
0: <laughs> Do you actually name them all and give them nicknames? Like- oh, I'm
1: going to nickname them all. Yeah. This is oh, yeah. Right now I'm adding clams and nerds to my qualifications. Oh, awesome. I don't, I don't have problems with clams or nerds because I'm kind of a nerd myself. So I exactly. can talk
2: to you.
1: But clams... People are just not clammy with me; uh, right. they, they just aren't. And um, but but I know that is a tendency. Some people are monosyllabic, and a lot of times I get by that by just sort of laughing and going, "Don't you have anything else to say?" <laughs> or do you just kind of get around with them a little bit, and next thing you know, they're talking. Yes. Once that type starts talking, then they don't want to stop.
0: It's <laughs> true. You know, sometimes it's I, I've even interviewed people like that, and it's if you can if it's almost like when you touch on the, the passion or you touch on the thing that they're really interested in, that can open them up. You know, I've had like really just sort of flat and just, oh, Okay. And then you get onto that thing and they're just like, to your point, they just, it's
1: they go nuts. different person. That yeah. Time. And that's what we're looking to, to get out of in win loss interviews. We're trying to get to where their passion is about what they do and don't like in their journey, how it worked and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. Um, and, 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 that isn't always contained in the questions that the customer wants you to ask. And that's why you need to be kind of open-ended and kind of let it flow. Right.
2: Right.
0: You know, when you mentioned the clams too, and I'll have, I want to ask you about that in the book yeah. as well. But when you mentioned the clams, I've been on some sales calls and sort of observer or third party to some calls where it was very clear, um, at least from what I was hearing that mm-hmm. the salesperson didn't really care about you know the prospect who maybe didn't really care about the like being there and it was almost like that you know it, it was too self-serving it kind of just shut everything down where it was closed lips you know i don't want to help you help me i don't because you might not be trying to help me you're probably just helping you like if people just it was like cold war detente type stuff from the clams and Wow. That was unfortunate to, you know, to hear that, but it, you could tell it was just that it was that self-serving nature of the people involved that they didn't trust. It was like trust. Like they didn't trust that they should yeah. share that information. It sounds like with the other ones, with the people that have the information that hold it hostage because they're like, are you worthy of this thing? Because I know exactly why I bought. And I could tell you and it might help you out a lot. But I'm not sure yeah. if I want to help you out, <laughs> you know. Right. And they hold it hold it back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is that book? So, you're writing this new one. If you can talk about it.
1: Well, God knows when I'll get to it because I have a very busy (laughs) year this year. So, I, you know, I'll get to it when I'm in my dreams, probably. Yeah. But I'm writing another book and I want it to be, and I have no title for it yet, but that's that's the hardest thing with writing books to me, it's getting a good title. Sure. I wish I were better at that. But it's how to capture in conversation what you're looking for. Hmm. And by the way, the truth.
0: What you're looking for in the truth. Yeah. And this is interesting. It sounds like this is a perfect uh, follow on to, you know, the original. Win-loss. I think
1: it is. Yeah. I have a couple of chapters in WinLoss Loss about, you know, how to be a better conversationalist, basically. Yeah. And elicitation, how to get people to talk to you. A couple chapters on that, uh, a chapter on that, I should say, and that comes From what I learned from my friend John Nolan in the intelligence world Mm. about elicitation. Yeah. So, but I I, uh, have a lot more than I have in mind for that next book. And uh, God knows when I'll get it written. 2020, maybe?
2: (laughs)
0: Right. Like, I don't know how you get any of these things done. Um, And so, really, I'm fascinated to know, who are you? How did you become this... Um, buyer whisperer, speaking and learning from people in these conversations. I know a lot of, you know, marketers can be kind of shy behind the technology or, whatnot. But you're just out there talking to folks. How did this? How did you become this? Take us back to, you know, little Ellen or or, or wherever you want to go. Curious.
1: Well, curious. That's the good word. Yeah. I've been curious ever since I can remember really ever since I can remember even as a little girl and I think I got it from my mother because we used to always tease her oh mom you ask too many questions (laughs) (laughs) guess what so does the daughter so uh, you know I think that's a lot of it I'm just curious about things and I can't learn enough you know that's how I've always been I was born and raised in Japan in an international community so I learned a lot about different perspectives and different ways of living as a child you know and Of Course, when you're a child, you just don't think about that that's different from other people, you just it's your life, it's your little baby box life, right? And started traveling at a very young age as well. And that's not so unusual today, but it was in my day. (laughs)
2: Let's not
1: go back to my day, but uh, yeah. And uh, um,
0: I I mean, did you a lot of this, you know, like
1: most people in competitive intelligence. Um, we didn't plan to get into competitive intelligence. You know, in my case, I started in sales, uh, retail sales and then B2B sales. And um, I got interested in competitive intelligence when I was in sales, since it did help you win more business to at least um, understand what the customer's learning about the competitor's products and services and reliability and all this kind of thing. And so I started out, in sales, and I also was so interested in the competition. I was training other salespeople on how to beat the competition.
2: Right. And then
1: I got into competitive intelligence when the first and breakup happened, and and I started the, the competitive intelligence unit at uh, Bell Atlantic. What was Bell Atlantic now? Verizon. Oh. Um, in 1985. That's a long time ago, and it was a lot of fun. I was young and uh, nobody. Had done this because we were a new company so it was a great opportunity for somebody in their 20s mm-hmm. to start something where nobody was really telling you what to do because they weren't real sure what to do and you were just figuring it out and along the way i found out about the about skip uh, it's now it was called the society of competitive intelligence professionals scip and now it's called strategic competitive intelligence professionals same acronym though scip because hmm. um, it's been through, you know, like a lot of associations, ups and downs and acquisitions and all the kind of good sure. stuff. So, so that's really how I got into it. And I, I really, you know, I, I talked my way into my job from sales into, you know, starting this unit. And um, it was during the divestiture. And I had very big accounts, but I couldn't sell them anything because that's the phase of divestiture we were in. And so I just yeah. said, you know, the business office could actually take care of these very big customers for this year. Um, and my boss, after 10 minutes, said, you're right, they could. What would you like to do? That's how I got into <laughs> intelligence. I said, that's what I want to do. And he said, okay, young lady, we'll see what we can do for you. So, and just about everybody I know who is in competitive intelligence that's been in it for a while has a very similar story in that most of us didn't plan this to be our career, our, our path. But what we do have in common is we tend to be curious. We tend to be somewhat intelligent, to remember and listen. You know this sort of thing, but we we all of us are very curious.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sounds you know? intuitive and, too. And, and, and intuition is very helpful. Um, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, like reading people's minds. Almost, it's true. Yes. Knowing if they're careful. lying. You have to be careful. In fact, um, I have to be careful. I don't know about everybody, but I have to be very careful because I actually do read people's minds and. I don't want to do that. That's not the point of the conversation. Really, I want to hear what's on their mind. Well, tell me about
0: this. Just from all the perceptions.
1: It's just from having had so many conversations with people that I can oh, sure. almost read their mind based on, oh, that little hesitation came in. Whatever it is, <laughs> you know, that you're noticing, you're like, oh, okay. You know, and I don't even consciously do this. Yeah. But I have to be really careful and, and practice at listening and talking less. And I tell myself that. The other thing that's really helpful is to have an attitude before you pick up the phone to talk to somebody and you decide what that attitude is. You know, what do you want to accomplish in this call? But what's your overriding attitude? Not just what's the answers I want to get in this call. It's my overriding attitude with almost every call I make is I want to make that person at the other end of the line feel better at the end of the call than when we said hello and that goes a long ways and I think that's another reason I don't get lied to that often because it's a subconscious intention on my side on my end of the line but you know people people pick up on that people are very very sensitive
0: interesting you know um that it's it's so it's so true um I had this experience there was this Tony Robbins event where we were talking about uh, men, women, different personalities, and there was this one kid, um, uh, young man. When uh, they invited all the guys in the room, they said, "Okay, anyone who thinks they're the best guy in this whole place, come on up on stage." Right. So mm. a weird selection of people start going on stage, and so this one guy, he had this pink hat on, he was acting like a jerk, and. I just because of the way he was acting, I just didn't like him. And because we were all kind of jazzed up, I was like, Oh, I really don't like this guy. And he's got this attitude, looks so uncaring and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um Tony went over and asked uh, this one lady in the front row, like, What do you think about this guy? You know? Um, you know, would you go on a date with him or any of this stuff? And she was like, No, she like freaked out. <laughs> no. Um, and then um there's other, you know, lessons and whatnot, but then Tony whispered some instructions in this guy's ear, and then we were waiting and watching. Guy takes his hat off, starts looking at the girl, and they got a close up of him on the screen. Oh. His whole face changes,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and he becomes attractive, right? And huh. and we're like, whoa! And then they have another view of the girl, and you can see she's like confused, and then. She starts like, I don't know, she's doing those like hair twirling things. All of a sudden she's like, yeah. what interested? And, um, and we're like, what the heck just happened? And so what he had told the young man was all he wants you to do is inside your head when you're looking at this girl, I want you to say in your head silently to yourself, I love you. Mm-hmm. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you, right? Just say those things in your mind uh, while you're looking mm-hmm. at her. And all that did was sort of shift him from being this punk kid who I wanted to beat up because he looked so arrogant to being Mm -hmm. this nice guy who was like, look, you know, whether he meant it or not, like he at the very moment, he was just saying, I care about you and and I'm going to look out for you, you know, And, and it changed the whole thing. So I could see for sure before getting on the phone call with someone being intentional about you know, what's the point here? And if it's a positive one, having such a better result come from it, it would make such a difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I noticed, I do a lot of cold calling too. And I noticed that oh, sure. even when I do cold calling and maybe even more so, uh, that I, I've even had people at the end of the call, at the end of a cold call, say to me, oh, thank you so much for calling. Really? i thinking, oh, thank you. <laughs> 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 but it's just that I've treated them. Well, and yeah. it's a sad reflection of our times. There isn't enough loving out there to Tony Robinson's point.
0: It's true. It's yeah. true. It, And you know, to your point, even an email, right? I mean, I, I'm more on the email side and, sure, and there's so many self-serving junkie emails that aren't here to help you. It's just like, ugh, people can smell it. They just delete it, you know? So like to interrupt people and be like, no, 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 this is for you. Not, we don't need anything. This is just to help you just change that script up a little bit. Reminds me of, um, noble purpose. I don't know if you read that book. Uh, Lisa, I
1: haven't. say it again.
0: It's called selling with noble purpose.
1: I'll have to write it down.
0: Yeah. It's one of my favorite books. Um, Lisa Earl McLeod. And, uh, essentially she was brought in, uh, to look at some pharmaceutical reps. Like there's like this one company with thousands of them. what makes them successful? What doesn't she, went with them. She watched them. She listened to their calls. She, all the things. And they, they was like a blind test. They didn't tell her who the best ones were. And yeah. then after studying them all, she was able to predict who the best ones were. Um, and she extrapolated that one of the key reasons that they were successful because they were selling with a purpose. They had a, a noble purpose to actually help out the buyer. Yeah. And uh, one of the best reps, uh, I told her that before I go in or when I'm waiting to see the doctor and I'm in the waiting room, I look around me at all the people that are sick in the chairs yeah. and I realize I'm here for them and I want them to feel better. And so that just, you know, wow. gives her that charge to go convince those doctors that that's why she's here and all that. And it makes, so it makes perfect sense in sales, makes perfect sense in marketing too. Like marketing can learn a lot from that book, you know, don't send out self-serving emails. Don't create campaigns like that. Um, just like, you know, a sales rep, you know, in a cold call or not, are going to be, you know, good or not, whether they've got that purpose. You know, if you've got that purpose as a marketer, even if you're not talking to them one-on-one, then I think it'll, it'll show through, you know, that you're you're there for them.
1: Yeah, it really does. When I was in sales, I was quite good at that, as it turned out, too. Mm. I got the last module you could get when really? I... When I joined the the phone company back in the day before the initial AT&T breakup, and I, I I uh wasn't initially picked to go with AT&T at the breakup because you know I wasn't making my numbers. Oh jeez. And uh, of course I had customers on my list who had never seen an account rep in their life, so they didn't know what to do with us. <laughs> well, anyway, the market hit a thousand or whatever that magic number was back in the eighties, and. Um, I went in with a new account rep who did not have any, and that you know, they knew they were going to split us up next year, so they had many more account reps than they needed for one, one or two years before the breakup. So I had this new person with me, and I said, well, you always have to be prepared for when a deal closes at the first call. So I said, I've never had it happen. I don't think it's going to happen here, but we have to be prepared for it. Well, it turned out this was a stockbroker and the market hit a 1000 He was ready to buy anything. He was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to talk him out of it because I just thought, gee, you don't even know how this system works. It might not be the thing for you. Do you know what I mean? Right. And yeah, you go out, back to,
0: you, you, like you start flipping it up on them. You're like, "Well, hold on. Let me make sure you're clear and <laughs> oh, yeah. you're all excited. Yeah.
1: And he just insisted, where do I have to sign? And this, that, and the other. And it turned out we had to operate it in night service all the time in order for it to work the way it should work for his business. And, uh, and it worked out okay. But it, I think another solution might have been better. But mm. there you go, you know. Yeah. But when I was just- in sales, I remember that what my customers seemed to value the most was that I listened to them. Mm-hmm. And... And I didn't knock the competition, right? you know, I didn't disparage the competition. And, you know, I kind of tell them the pluses and minuses of what they were, what I, what I was suggesting for them. Or they might say, this is what I want to do. And I try to be objective. And um, as a result, I know one of them, when they were moving to a new location, oh, we want to order all this stuff from you. You know, yeah, right? and that's a lot of what it is when you're in sales. Sure. It's a relationship. It's caring. Right. I know you
0: said earlier you love people.
1: I do. I'm a people monster. I love people. Even though I'm pretty introverted, actually, but I love people. I just love to hear their story.
0: Yeah. Talk to them, learn from them. Yeah. Connect with them a little bit.
1: Yeah. Everybody has a valuable story to tell, at least one, probably quite a few. I agree.
0: I agree. That's why I'm doing. I I love podcasting, you know. Not it. I get to learn and and hear stories, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine.
0: So you know, last thing I wanted to bring up was you're in Colorado. I'm a little jelly because you've got mountains all around you. I don't know if they're nearby, but it seems like a pretty cool state. And uh, you started out out east here it's a little bit, unless yeah. your your dad did. So, you know, what are you doing for fun out there? Are you getting a chance to get outside or?
1: Oh yeah. I'm outside almost every day. It's a All beautiful right. day here. We have 300 days of sunshine and um, oh, wow. our weather here is definitely a selling point. Um, like this morning, I was up at, uh, before seven, we have a seven o'clock walk we take with a group called uh walk to connect walk. And then it's the number two connect. Huh go check them out. And they started out here in Colorado by one of our neighbors who walked across America. And after doing that, he decided, gee, you know, I met so many cool people doing this. I should start a movement where people take walks with their neighbors, with their friends, with their colleagues in their same city, in their area. And he was so excited about it. And uh, that's one of the things I do, but yeah, I liked it. I liked to cross country ski more than downhill just cuz i have bad feet you know you really tight boots going downhill oh yeah and it just kills my feet now but cross country no problem snowshoeing mountain hiking you bet i like all of it and just walking it's a beautiful place just to go out and walk and enjoy we have a lot of paths even in the city of denver sure. i'm now in the process of doing that exploring all the urban paths i just walked to connect i gave them a donation they sent me this book with all these nice cool urban paths to go out oh, and wow. explore so i'm in the process of doing that so yeah Colorado is a great state love it a Walk to connect that sounds great just to hear some stories and and the founders Jonathan stalls and if you look him up on YouTube with this first TEDx talk he's in his twenties he's a baby he's still a baby he's only in his mid thirties but you know it's great it's just great to see that spirit It's great to see that passion you know
0: yeah you know the,
1: the... life's experience
0: I have to listen to it it looks it's called the Twenty-one hundred and eighty-five mile hike. Two thousand one hundred eighty-five mile hike. Um, or no, uh, life at three. Miles three miles per hour. hour. Life—that's what it is. Life at three miles per hour.
1: Yeah, that's cool. It's very cool, and you meet some really neat people that way too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we've gotten really pretty connected with a number of the folks. We've been doing this for I don't know, maybe two or three years by now. Aris was the first walk because he lives right here in the neighborhood seven years ago. We weren't living here seven years ago and we discovered them because one morning we were up at i don't know seven o'clock doing something and they walk this group of people walks by our house and we're thinking it's obviously a walking group what's the deal here you know yeah, next, what are you guys up to? next tuesday we join them and they have walks all over all over the denver metro and now all over colorado and it's becoming a, a national movement you wow. know we had some people out here from maryland and uh, over the summer and uh they were setting up some walks around baltimore and stuff like that so it's it's really it's kind of neat yeah
0: well anything where you can actually get to know your neighbors again i think is a positive thing I
1: think yes. that used
0: to be common and then now it's kind of a little more isolated so i like the idea of you know ways that you can connect and you're not trying to sell anyone anything you're just trying to meet and yeah. connect just
1: hanging out yeah. having a walk
0: have know? a walk so it's healthy yeah. at the same time yeah
1: and I live in a, in a friendly neighborhood also in, in Denver. And that helps too. I know my neighbors. They know me. We have block parties, you know. Oh, nice. That's a good thing too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty tight with my neighbors. So I feel grateful there too.
0: That's you awesome. Know. Living the good life.
1: Living the good life. I love it.
0: And traveling. Are you? Do you have events coming up?
1: Um, I or don't have as many. I don't have as many planned just because we're so early into the new year. I have to figure out. My project load and then go from there but my husband's a oil painter and so I go with him to to art festivals and they started there's one in March there's probably one in April there's one in May there's two in June that I know about okay and so those are all drives and plus I run my own business so and uh, yeah well we just got back from a fabulous trip we do travel we were we were in Ecuador celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary in July. Oh,
0: for two
1: weeks. Oh, thank you. And we explored the Andes Mountains. We love mountains, so we just wow. kept on going. And they're absolutely dropped at gorgeous volcanoes, uh, beautiful farms way high up at elevation, which we never have in Colorado. We don't have enough rain. Just absolutely gorgeous. And the people there are just wonderful. Wow. And uh, a cool. lot of them are Native, you know, Indigenous people. And they're just beautiful people. So. We do travel, and just now, before Christmas, we decided to take a trip knowing that the first six months of next year are going to be, this year, rather, are going to be a little crazed. We yes. got into the car, and we drove to Taos and Santa Fe, all the way down to the Big Bend National Park in Texas, and hiked around the Big Bend Park and the National, and the State Park, which is right next to it. Explored, the, uh, did stellar, stellar uh, stargazing at the observatory. The McDonald Observatory, University of Texas, fabulous outdoors, beautiful tour of the of the heavens, fabulous, and uh, but yeah, we 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 took a nice big long tour. Ended up in El Paso and Juarez and
0: (laughs) I've been over there. Yeah,
1: the Guadalupe Mountains, the uh, Oregon Mountains of um, a lot of hiking. That was the objective: hiking and exploring. And yeah, we ended up home a couple weeks later. It was fabulous, but that we we really enjoy seeing the world. In our backyard and and far away as well.
0: Yeah, hiking, exploring—that just speaks right to me. I mean, I love that. Yeah, you know, I wrote down a personal core value a couple of weeks ago to prep for the new year. And one was just, you know, living life, enjoying it, and challenging myself with fun and adventure. And yeah, to to travel like you did and get some hiking in so that it's active. And you know, nothing like seeing a place. Going for a morning run helps me find it find out about a place I'm staying at in a hotel if it's a business trip, but also I mean hiking mm-hmm. somewhere and looking down on where you were just staying is
1: Yeah. Good on you that you can go running. I can't run anymore. My body's saying, no, nope, sorry. You're done yeah. with that. You can get on a bike and you can walk.
0: <laughs> Mine likes to say that. I just I don't listen very well to uh to rules and instructions. Um, ah. but, but I'll tell you what, this has been Awesome. What are some of the links where people can connect with you for your company? Maybe if they want to do some of these insights as well, um, get more information, maybe follow you, learn about when the book comes out.
1: Well, links. my, my website is just my name, com, and okay. I can show my book up close. Yes. That way you'll also get the right spelling of my name. That's the book. Yep. And there's Ellen Naylor. And Lawson Alhambra. L O R. Yep. Yeah, N A Y L O R, which people on the East Coast get. Out here in Colorado, you never know. And um, I'm on Twitter at Ellen Naylor's, my my Twitter handle. Okay. I'm not as active on Twitter, I'm more active on LinkedIn. Oh, okay. And if you just look up Ellen Naylor, you'll find me. I mean I think it might Ellen Naylor, Colorado. But um, okay. yeah. People know you more by your name than your business, unless you have lots of employees, you sure. know. True. I, I was or trying killer to get my...
0: You've got a great killer book, you know, so oh,
1: well, maybe you're known you. by that as well. Well, I'm starting to get more known by it. That's true. My, 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 I'm getting more business in this space for sure. But, uh, and I wrote the book really just because I think more people should be doing it. And so I wanted to write a book that if you read the book and you followed the process that I outlined in the book in 12 steps, that you could set up your own win-loss program. That's yeah. why people should be doing it. And that was really the intention I had.
0: That's awesome. Noble yeah. purpose. And it's correct. We got to talk to our buyers. We got yeah. to talk to her, our wins and our losses. And this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here. I've learned a bunch. I've got notes over here and, and a brain full of new ideas.
1: Oh, I've enjoyed talking to you too. And hearing some of what's going on in your life as well and your wisdom. So it's, yeah. It's all oh, good.
0: Happy, happy to chat and share and, and a fellow adventurer, fellow hiker. i have to I'm now inspired yeah. to check out some of those other countries. So oh, thank yeah. you again, for sure. And everyone else uh, listening, if you learned anything, you got inspired, share this with someone else that you think should hear this, um, especially if you're looking to create your own win-loss program internally. Definitely get a copy of the book. We'll put all the links in the show notes. We've got the show notes at hardcoremarketing.com. So go check those out and we'll get all the links for you up there. Uh, But this has been awesome. So we will see you all next time, guys. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show.
2: Bam!